This is DW News live from Berlin tonight. DW News banned in Russia. The Russian Foreign Ministry today gave notice it is shutting down DW's Moscow Bureau. It comes in retaliation for Berlin's decision to ban RT, Russia Today's German language propaganda station. Also coming up tonight, a major blow to so-called Islamic states. Took a major terrorist leader off the battlefield. U.S. President Biden says the IS leader blew himself up as U.S. Special Forces approached during a raid in northwest Syria. Several other people also killed during the operation near the Turkish border. And just hours until one of the biggest sporting events of the year, Beijing counting down to the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics. With the coronavirus pandemic looming, we'll hear from our correspondent about life inside the Beijing bubble. I'm Brent Goff. It's good to have you with us. The German government is strongly condemning Moscow's decision today to shut down the Russian operations of this network, Deutsche Welle. The foreign ministry ordered the closure of DW's Moscow bureau and is revoking the accreditation for our colleagues there. It is a retaliatory move for the German government's decision to ban the German language programming of Russia's state media broadcaster, RT. Earlier, my colleague Leila Harak asked the head of our Moscow bureau, Yuri Reschetto, about the moment when he heard the news. We found out it from uh, the Russian media, the information about uh, it was on the website on the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. In the meantime, I have received an official letter from uh, the Russian Foreign Ministry when I was personally officially informed that our office has to be closed starting at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. That means I can still talk to you, Laila, from this studio now, but not anymore starting tomorrow. What does this mean, uh, Yuri, to you for your work? Do you have to leave immediately? Well, we have to find out this first. Uh, at the moment, it's not clear if and if yes, when I personally and my foreign colleagues here have to leave the country. Of course, uh, this decision by the Russian authorities came as a great surprise to us. To us. Uh, we are yeah, literally shock, uh, shocked for all of us here. Uh, this news is very personal. We expected countermeasures from the Russian authorities. It was announced that uh, there would be a response days ago, but just how tough this response is surprising. There are a lot of open questions at the moment, technical uh, questions, legal questions, and so on and so on. So far, we only know from the authorities that we have to give back our press accreditation cards tomorrow during the day to the Russian Foreign Ministry. Those are the cards that give us the right to work as journalists here in Russia. Yuri, on a personal level, what does this mean for you and your team? Nobody from our office, Lala, and uh, that's around 20 employees, uh, will be allowed to work as a journalist for DW in Russia starting tomorrow. And, um, yeah, that affects correspondents, producers, cameramen, editors, and so on. Um, according to Russian law, they are now no longer allowed to work for Deutsche Welle. And let me say, 
On a personal note, for me personally and for all people who support our coverage from Russia, this is a big shock. Uh, I've been the bureau chief and correspondent for Deutsche Welle here in Moscow for seven years. And like all my colleagues, I have loved reporting from Russia even more. We all were, are and will stay passionate, uh, passionate fans of Russia. By Russia, I don't necessarily mean Russian politics, but uh, the people of this great country. Um, in my opinion, stories from Russia are always incredibly exciting. And this country is very rich in culture. Culture. We have reported on politics, the economy, on sports, and on many, many other aspects of people's lives here. And, of course, Deutsche Welle will continue to report on Russia in uh, 30 different languages, on television, on social media, and online. There is no doubt that the country plays a very important role in the world, and trying hard to understand it is, it remains extremely important, especially in these difficult times. DW's Moscow bureau chief, Yuri Reschetto. Well, the German government has called Moscow's move, quote, unacceptable. DW's Director General Peter Lindbergh said in a statement that the network is being used as a pawn. Oh, we had been expecting some measures by the Russian side, but I think this uh, is a total overreacting uh, from the Russian government because uh, um, they're closing the bureau, they, they want us not to, to broadcast anything anymore in Russia. And I think uh, also that our correspondents must leave. Um, obviously, uh, Russia is something which is uh, a really overreaction. And uh, it's not even a tit-for-tat measure if you want, want to see it like this, because first of all, you can't compare uh, RT German with the Deutsche Welle. I mean, we're a public service broadcaster and not a state government uh, broadcaster. And on the other hand, we have to see that uh, Russian journalists uh, will continue to work freely in Germany and can broadcast whatever they want. So, um, and this is not the case with our colleagues. So it's really um, disappointing to see this, how the Russian government is reacting. And what will happen next? Is there anything that you can do? Uh, we will take legal steps uh, and uh, try to, to see whether these uh, measures are legal, even from Russian standards. Uh, but this is something which we will have to discuss uh, in the coming, coming hours. But I think legal steps is something we will take. Um, and then we will um, discuss this also, obviously, with, the, with our institutions here in Germany. Yeah. You know, we have so many dedicated, hardworking staff uh, working for years in Russia. Have you heard from them? Have you been in touch with them? How are they feeling about this decision? Well, obviously, they're also shocked by the, by the measures because uh, everybody was expecting that there might be coming something. Uh, and this is also what the foreign ministry in, in Moscow yesterday announced, that there will be some kind of reaction. Um, but uh, I think for people who really love to work in Russia and they love the German, they love the Russian uh, culture, they, they are really into, into uh, reporting from this, this beautiful and so interesting country. It's hard to accept that they have to stop one day uh, to the other. And so I think they are shocked. And uh, yes, it is something which is, which is also sad uh, for a journalist to leave the country uh, on short notice. And in terms of press freedom, of course, the press has been under attack for some time in Russia. But uh, what does this signal to you now? Well, the press freedom in Russia is, is, is minimal. I mean, there, there are some independent outlets, but they're struggling. And this is another sign that Russia is not interested in, uh, and the Russian government is not interested in press freedom and freedom of opinion. But I can only say 
um, even if we have to leave the country, we will intensify reporting on the country. So I think this must be also clear to the Russian side that we will not just ignore what's happening in Russia, we will report and we will do more and more. DW Director General Peter Limburg, thank you very much. Thanks for your reaction. That interview was recorded earlier. Well, this decision from Moscow, it comes as German Chancellor Olaf Scholz prepares a trip to Russia's capital for talks on Ukraine in less than two weeks' time. Scholz calling the buildup of Russian troops on Ukraine's border very serious. He says any invasion would come with serious consequences. The German Chancellor has been under pressure from other NATO members to take a harder line on Russia. And for more on this now, I'm joined by our political correspondent, Simon Young. Simon, pressure mounting on Chancellor Schultz to take more action. And he's headed to Moscow. I mean, what does he want to achieve with this visit? Well, I think what Chancellor Schultz has focused on is de-escalation. He says uh, that the key thing is to avoid uh, a military conflict between uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's what he'll be using this visit uh, to try and uh, do, uh, perhaps also to find out more closely what President Putin wants. It'll be the first face-to-face -face meeting between um, Olaf Scholz as Chancellor and, uh, and Vladimir Putin. Uh, they've spoken on the phone before, but uh, this will be the first chance to look him in the eye. Uh, and it's part of a wider diplomatic effort by Scholz. Uh, he's going to uh, Washington to, for talks with uh, President Biden on Monday. There's also uh, the possibility of uh, trilateral talks with uh, the French and Polish presidents together. And of course, Germany is also talking to the Ukrainian side. So the sort of multi-pronged diplomatic effort is uh, underway. What kind of leverage does Schultz have? Well, I think the main thing is uh, what we've talked about again and again. It's this Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. It's very important for both uh, Russia and uh, for Germany. Uh, Russia wants to sell uh, more gas uh, through that pipeline uh, into Europe. Uh, and, uh, of course, any potential decision that's being talked about to stop that going ahead would uh, have economic consequences uh, for Russia. So there is some leverage there. At the same time, of course, the Kremlin knows uh, that uh, Germany uh, is very reliant on uh, energy imports, particularly on Russian gas. Uh, and so uh, it's a tough call for Olaf Scholz uh, to say that he's ready to uh, just pull the plug on that, as it were. Uh, but that's what he said. All options are on the table uh, if there were military aggression uh, by Russia against Ukraine, uh, that, uh, that, that uh, you know, they would definitely look at uh, taking that measure and stopping that, uh, that gas flow. And today's decision to basically shut down Deutsche Welle in Russia, I mean, that can only poison this troubled relationship further. Absolutely, it will do. Uh, the culture minister here in Berlin, Claudia Roth, said it's completely unacceptable. Uh, the foreign ministry here in Berlin has said there's no basis uh, for this and it will definitely uh, worsen uh, German-Russian relations. They're already strained anyway, following, of course, the uh, poisoning of uh, the key opposition figure, Alexei Navalny, uh, and many other things. Uh, and, of course, this, uh, this uh, incident, uh, this decision relating to Deutsche Welle does not help. Our Simon Young here in Berlin. Simon, as always, thank you.
The United States says that it has removed a global terror threat in a targeted raid in Syria. President Joe Biden announcing that an overnight attack by U.S. Special Forces resulted in the death of Abu Ibrahim al-Hashima al-Karashi. He's the leader of so-called Islamic State. The news comes amid growing concerns that IS may be trying to regroup in the region. A collapsed roof and a dead terrorist leader. The result of a U.S. Special Forces raid in the pre-dawn hours on Thursday morning in a Syrian village near the Turkish border. Abu Ibrahim al-Hashemi al-Karashi reportedly blew himself up as about two dozen troops, backed by air support, moved in on a house he was in. Karashi was considered the head of so-called Islamic State. He took over the terrorist group when his predecessor died much the same way in 2019. U.S. President Joe Biden told reporters after the raid that the group, while smaller than a few years ago, is still dangerous. He referred to Karashi by his other name, Haj Abdullah. ISIS has directed terrorist operations targeting Americans, our allies and our partners, and countless civilians in the Middle East, Africa, and in South Asia. Haji Abdullah oversaw the spread of ISIS-affiliated terrorist groups around the world after savaging communities and murdering innocents. U.S. officials say the operation Biden ordered took weeks to plan. It happened amid growing concerns that IS may be trying to regroup. In January, IS attacked a prison in northeast Syria in an effort to free its fighters held there. It took days for U.S.-backed Kurdish forces to retake the prison, killing hundreds in the process. No Americans were harmed in the overnight raid on Al-Karashi's home, despite an exchange of gunfire and one helicopter making a forced landing due to mechanical issues. At least 13 other people, including other fighters, women and children, were killed as well. U.S. officials attribute the deaths to Al-Karashi's own bomb. They said they chose to risk putting boots on the ground rather than an airstrike to avoid civilian casualties. The U.S. military has been under pressure to review its targeted strikes, some of which have killed more civilians than initially reported. I want to give straight now to our Oliver Sallet in Washington. Oliver, U.S. President Biden says that he wanted to protect the American people from terrorist threats. What have been the reactions to this operation? Well, Grand President Biden hailed his troops there on the ground. It's certainly a welcome move here in the United States. As a reminder, uh, just about half a year ago, we were covering the, um, uh, the terror attack at Kabul airport, uh, where ISIS terrorists blew themselves up in a crowd of uh, Afghani citizens, uh, civilians who were trying to escape the country. Uh, and, and among them were 13 U.S. soldiers. And back at the time, of course, uh, President Biden vowed retaliation. Now, this strike taking down the highest ISIS leader uh, is that kind of retaliation that President Biden was hoping for. Uh, but, of course, and on the other hand, we have uh, reports of civilians that, are died, that have died in that raid. The situation is still a bit murky. But, of course, that raises criticism. Also, people remember uh, of, of similar military actions of the U.S. in the past where civilians were killed. Nevertheless, here in the United States, it's considered a successful mission. All the U.S. soldiers got out safely that were deployed there. And um, it's been the biggest U.S. raid in Syria also since the killing of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the former head of ISIS, in 2019. And um, what about the timing of this raid? 
as always worth looking at the bigger picture. Uh, Joe Biden, President Biden, is under enormous pressure here uh, in the U.S. Some of his policy packages stalled. The Build Back Better Act popularity is on a historic low. And uh, only Donald Trump really at the time was more, uh, was more unpopular as, uh, as Joe Biden is right now. So Afghanistan is his true pull out in the subsequent chaos, chaotic scenes that culminated in that terror attack. Um, are considered a failure in his policy. And so uh, this move here, taking down the highest ISIS leader, uh, can be considered somewhat of a correction uh, and a success story that he urgently needs as we're also nearing the midterm elections. TW's Oliver Sallet in Washington. Oliver, as always, thank you. All right, here's a roundup now of some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world. The economic community of West African states has asked the junta that seized power in Burkina Faso last week to propose an election timetable. The group held an emergency summit in Ghana's capital, Accra, to discuss measures against Burkina Faso, as well as what the group called a dangerous trend of military power grabs in the region. Northern Ireland's first minister has resigned in protest of post-Brexit trade rules. He stepped down after one of his ministers tried to block the inspection of goods arriving from other ports or other parts of the UK. The region is facing fresh tension over the Brexit protocol that keeps Northern Ireland inside the EU single market. Investigators in Argentina are racing to remove laced cocaine from circulation after it caused the deaths of 20 people and hospitalizations of dozens more. Police believe it may have been cut with opioids. Several suspected traffickers have been arrested during raids in and near Buenos Aires. Italy's president, Sergio Mattarella, has been sworn in for a second term. The 80-year-old did not want another seven years in office, but was persuaded to stay on after lawmakers failed to agree on a compromise candidate in last week's election. In his speech to Parliament, Mattarella appealed for greater unity. The United Kingdom, Norway and Denmark are the first European countries to lift all or most of their coronavirus restrictions. Despite relatively high case numbers, their governments have decided the virus now poses less of a risk to citizens and to public health. But while many are hoping this could be a step towards life beyond the pandemic, some businesses are choosing to keep taking precautions, and experts are warning the virus remains unpredictable. Packed pubs in London as people meet for a drink after work, just like they did before the pandemic. A cherished tradition, revived even as the coronavirus is still wafting through the air. If we're being eased into that now and it's, and it's working, I think it's, I think it's okay and I think it's happy, it's lovely coming out without having to move. <laughs> well, I've had my three vaccines, so, you know. I do, have you had COVID, SJ? I had it really early on right, so. and I'm fully vaccinated with my booster and I do feel very safe. Almost all restrictions in the UK have been lifted. The vaccination rate is high, especially among older people. New infections are decreasing and hospitals are admitting fewer patients, but some still urge caution. It has always demonstrated its ability to surprise us. Now, there are some that have this idea that in some way viruses tend to evolve to become less dangerous. That's actually not based on any good historical evidence. And it's perfectly possible that another one will come along that is more severe. Yeah. 
Businesses are now free to write their own rules. At this hair salon, employees are supposed to still wear a mask. We're doing so to make you feel more comfortable. If you'd rather not, that's absolutely fine as a client. Sit down, don't wear a mask. Again, whatever makes you happier. The government is already planning its final phase. From mid-March, those with COVID-19 will no longer have to self-isolate. Meanwhile, in Denmark, restored freedoms are being welcomed too. Designers Søren Le Schmidt and his team are making final preparations before Fashion Week starts in Copenhagen, mask-free and test-free. I am so happy that we can come together again and celebrate fashion. Many Danes are relaxed about restrictions having been lifted a second time. More than 80% of the population is double vaccinated. More than 60% has had a booster. There are far fewer patients in hospital ICUs. But the number of new infections remains high. A problem for schools and daycare centers, which are struggling to stay open due to severe staff shortages. The government is warning people not to underestimate the virus in spite of the freedom. That's why, here too, many businesses are voluntarily maintaining some precautions. Well, this is a case of adding misery to worry. Tonga has gone into lockdown after confirming a number of COVID-19 cases. The Pacific Island nation is still recovering from that devastating volcanic eruption and massive tsunami last month. Now, before the disaster, Tonga was one of the few places on Earth that were COVID-free. Ships with humanitarian aid are suspected of bringing the virus to the islands. All is quiet on the streets of the Tongan capital, Nuku'alofa. Images reminiscent for many around the world of the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. But for residents here in Tonga, the measures to deal with COVID-19 are now necessary. There is a lockdown, uh, and I think it's a good thing. Uh, we need to be tracking uh, and, and, and doing tracing uh, of, of, of those who were in contact with the, with the first two uh, uh, COVID cases. Tonga entered a lockdown after several COVID-19 cases were discovered. It's thought that ships bringing aid may be how the coronavirus reached the country's shores. The South Pacific nation was previously corona-free. It's another blow to Tongans who are still struggling to deal with the aftermath of a catastrophic volcanic eruption in January. But there is some hope. Over 80% of people over the age of 12 are fully vaccinated. The lockdown, which only permits essential services to remain open, will be reassessed by the Tongan government every 48 hours. The pandemic is also looming over the Beijing Winter Olympics, which kick off with an opening ceremony in less than 24 hours. But that is not the only sore spot for Beijing. China's human rights abuses are also in focus. With less than 24 hours until the games officially open, the political clouds over Beijing show no signs of clearing. Despite the repeated efforts of IOC President Thomas Bach to resist what he views as the instrumentalization of the Olympics. The ancient Greeks knew that uh, 
that uh, if uh, the games would be used uh, for uh, would would come in between the, the the political tensions which were high at the time between uh, Sparta and Athens and and, and others if uh, there the games would not be considered to be neutral they would not have uh, survived there for 1,000 years. Australian Open spectators were accused last month by China of politicising sport after tennis fans handed out Where's Peng Shui t-shirts. Bach confirmed that he will meet the Chinese tennis star who disappeared from public life in November after she accused a high-ranking Communist Party official of sexual assault. Peng Shui later retracted that allegation, though there are concerns she may have done so under duress. It's a necessity then to, to respect her and then to listen to her and how she sees uh, the situation, how she wants uh, to, uh, to live uh, uh, her, her life. China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims here in Xinjiang province has prompted countries like the US and the UK to stage a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Games. Asked for comment, Bach cited his No Politics pledge. The uh, position of uh, the, the IOC uh, must be, given the uh, political uh, neutrality, that uh, we are not uh, commenting on uh, political uh, issues. As the curtain rises on a Beijing Olympics surrounded by political intrigue, Bach's insistence that they be kept out of the Games remains unwavering. Meanwhile, a major snowstorm is causing widespread destruction in parts of the U.S., but some are reveling in the cold weather. A polar bear in a Chicago zoo, he just cannot seem to get enough of the fresh white stuff. There he is. His name is Hudson, and he is clearly in his element. The state of Illinois and parts of northern Indiana are expecting up to 45 centimeters by the end of Thursday. That's just about the right amount when you've got that much white hair. Or when you've got that much time. Here's a reminder of the top stories we're following for you. Russia's foreign ministry has announced that it is banning this network, Deutsche Welle, and shutting down DW's Moscow Bureau. It comes in retaliation for Germany's decision to ban the German language programming of Russia's state media broadcaster, Russia Today or RT. U.S. President Joe Biden, he says that U.S. Special Forces have removed a major terror threat he says lead, the leader of so-called Islamic State blew himself up during a targeted raid in northwest Syria. Several other people were also killed in the operation near the Turkish border. You're watching DW News. After a short break, we'll be back with our talk show, To The Point. I'll be back at the top of the hour with more world news followed by the day. I hope to see you then.
point. Strong opinions, clear positions, international perspectives. Could Turkey soaring inflation and plunging currency bring down a president sometimes referred to as Teflon Tayyip for his ability to deflect crises? Economic pain is provoking doubt even among staunch supporters. Can Turkey survive Erdogan? Find out on To The Point. To The Point. Next on DW. One of mankind's oldest ambitions could be within reach. What if it really is possible to reverse aging? Researchers and scientists all over the world are in a race against time. The DNA molecule, though, has 28 million different hourglasses. They are peers and rivals, with one daring goal, to outsmart nature. For a longer, healthier, and fuller life. One of the most insightful discoveries in the history of mankind. Down the hatch. <laughs> More Life starts February 16th on DW.